Amen. Thank you, choir. Well, grab a Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Read verses 36 through 49. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a pew Bible there in front of you and turn to page 885. We're going to run a little bit over today. Good news is I don't have a lunch appointment till 2 p.m. <laughs> it won't go that long. Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24, verse 36. This, this happened on Easter Sunday. On that day, it was in the evening that this happened. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he, being Jesus, said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold... I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as the tomb's stone was rolled away that day, May you remove the stones of doubts and distractions and despair that can weigh heavy upon us today. As you open the grave that the disciples might look in and see the truth that would change their lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and open our minds so that we might look into this passage and see the truth about Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jack and the Beanstalk versus the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You heard me correctly. Compare and contrast Jack and the Beanstalk versus the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is there any difference? What is the difference? 
Well, the evolutionary biologist and devout atheist Richard Dawkins says, presumably what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. And the accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the beanstalk. So that's what Richard Dawkins thinks about this day. His mind is filled with skepticism and doubts about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know Richard Dawkins personally, but I have friends that I know and love that share his same sentiment. What about you? As you come here today to this sanctuary and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is your mind filled with doubts and skepticism? If so, I want to encourage you, not scold you. That this passage is for you. This message is for you. Or maybe you say, Tanner, I'm not, I'm not skeptical. I'm just, I'm confused. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents professed to be followers of Jesus Christ. But I, when I went off to college, I encountered all these different people that were good people that I liked and loved, but they worshipped a different God. And I'm just confused about how can I know which one is true? I want to encourage you today that if you come here today confused about what is true, this passage is for you. This message is for you. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ like I am. And whenever you come to Christmas and Easter, you, you take time to pause, at, pause and say, Okay, if this is really, really true, then why is my life more drastically and radically different than it is? And so I want to encourage you this morning that if that is your struggle this morning, that this passage is for you. This sermon, this message is for you. You see, Jesus encountered critics in his own disciples. And what Jesus does in this passage is that he slowly but surely dissolves their doubts. He slowly but surely dissolves their criticism. He slowly but surely dissolves their confusion about what is real and about what is really happening before their very eyes. And I want you to know that this has been my prayer for you this week, is that our Lord Jesus would come through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning and that he would dissolve our doubts together. That today we would leave here embracing the evidence for the reality of Jesus' resurrection. So that we would know the difference between Jack and the beanstalk and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we would know the difference between the Easter bunny and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we would know the difference between fairy tale and fiction and fact and history. That we would know the difference between what is make-believe and what is reality. 
And so this morning, as we investigate this passage of Scripture together, what I want you to see are the proofs in this passage. I want you to investigate the proofs for the reality of the literal physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The first proof we encounter in this passage is the physical proof. Now notice in verses 36 through 38 that the the gospel is very honest and transparent about the disciples' doubts. It says in verse 36 that they were talking about these things... All the ten disciples are gathered there. Two men that came, a man or woman that came back from the road to Emmaus have talked about how Jesus walked with them on a seven-mile journey on Easter morning. And Jesus himself stood among them, it says in verse 36. And Jesus said to them, peace to you. I think it's humorous that immediately, as he says peace to them, they're terrified. Verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. In other words, they're scared to death. They're like, is this a ghost? Am I hallucinating? What's happening here? Their their minds are filled with doubt, confusion, and skepticism. They're trying to sort it all out. And it says in verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Notice Jesus doesn't scold them, but he welcomes them to investigate the physical proof for his resurrection. Look at verses 38 and following. Pardon me, verse 39. Jesus says, see my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. In the original, their commands. In other words, he says, come. Look. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me and see the literal physical proof that I'm alive. The scriptures are clear about the physical proof, the physical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want you to... Face the facts that this was not a hallucination because what happens in the scriptures, we see that Jesus appeared repeatedly to the disciples, to several women, and actually to 500 brothers at the same time, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, over the course and over the span of 40 days before he ascends. And several times Jesus tells them to come and see and touch. And what happens when they touch? Look what it says Verse 39, touch me and see that a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. It would be like if I asked Jackie James here to touch my bicep. Some people have bigger biceps than I have, but hopefully you feel a little bit of a muscle there. But if you feel muscle and tendon on bones, that's what the disciples encountered that day was a physical proof of the resurrection and Jesus said to them look at my hands and my feet and he showed them his hands and his feet in verse 40 and I assume that one by one the disciples came up to Jesus and though his wounds were healed there were still holes in the wrists from where he had been crucified on the cross and there were still holes in his ankles though they were healed and I'm sure that the curiosity was killing those cats of disciples and I'm sure that several of them stuck their thumb in the wound, just to see, was it real? And here's my favorite part of this passage. He eats. By the way, if I was Jesus, and I was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and I had just defeated Satan, sin, and death, the last thing that would have been on my mind was, do you have some mullet? (laughs) But that's what happens here. 
Look at what it says. Verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And most of them were fishermen. And what does it say? Verse 42. They gave him a piece, a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. What's the proof that we have the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? We have the physical proof. Gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, if you were going to write a gospel to try to convince people about the reality of Jesus' resurrection, doesn't this seem anticlimactic unless it's true? And now I present to you the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how does he appear? Lips smacking like they always did when he fished on the banks with them and they broiled fish. Why do the Gospels record this? Why do the Gospels record Jesus eating fish? Because it's true. William Hendrickson says that after the fishermen saw Jesus eat fish, they never doubted the reality of the resurrection again. What about you? Do you have doubts? Jesus wants to dissolve your doubts today. He welcomes you to examine the evidence for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a gentleman by the name of Josh McDowell who's become kind of a big name in Campus Crusade for Christ. When Josh McDowell went to the college campus, he was... He was a leader. He got involved in his college campus. He became a leader in, in, in all the different civic organizations he could become a part of. But he found this kind of this emptiness in his life. And he kept on searching for greater meaning and greater purpose. And he noticed these group of students kind of gathered around a lunch table one day. And they, their eyes seemed filled with joy. And he asked them, what are you doing? And they said, we're studying the Bible. And Josh McDowell looked at them and he said, don't give me a bunch of that religious garbage. Now, there was a pretty girl that looked at him and said, we're not offering you religion, we're offering you Jesus. And that young lady challenged Josh McDowell to examine the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And do you know what happened? Josh McDowell came to faith in Christ and he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's about this thick. <laughs> And Josh McDowell, over the years, has now gone back to college campuses and has had conversation after conversation with one college student after another that's wrestled with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's wrestled with the reality of the Christian faith. And one person asked Josh McDowell this, why can't you intellectually refute Christianity? And this is what Josh McDowell says, for a very simple reason. I'm not able to explain away an event in history that's known as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All historians, whether they want to accept Jesus as Lord or not, cannot deny the fact that the tomb was empty. They cannot deny the fact that his disciples, who were once cowards, suddenly became so convinced of his resurrection that they were willing to die for the profession of faith in him. And Lee Strobel, another person that wrestled with the reality of Christ, says in his book, A Case for Christ, that after he examined the overwhelming evidence for the reality of Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, that he knew that it would take far more faith for him not to believe in Jesus than for him to believe in Jesus. This morning, will you embrace Jesus, 
because of the physical proof of his resurrection. Will you do it? That's the only proof that this passage gives us. It not only gives us physical proof, but it gives us biblical proof. Or Kent Hughes says, our message is the eternal good news based on the historical events prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled by Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Tanner, you're an idiot. Because all of the examples and proofs you're going to give me are coming from the Bible. So what do you mean that there's a biblical proof versus a physical proof? Perhaps, Tanner, when you shaved your head this week in preparation for Easter morning, maybe you, you cut off a little bit more than your, than your hair. Maybe you got a few brain cells with it. What's my point? What I want you to see is that Jesus in verses 44 through 46 give us biblical proof for the resurrection. In other words, that Jesus was not just some religious nut job case who showed up on the scene in the first century, but it was all according to God's design, it was all according to God's plan, and it was being fulfilled. What we have in the Bible are 66 books written by 40 different human authors over the span of 1,500 years. And within this book, there are 300 different prophecies that prophesy where Jesus would be born, to whom he would be born, what tribe, where, what place he would be born, where he would live, where he would grow up, where he would die, how he would die, how people would respond to his death, and it even predicts his resurrection. What I want you to see is that Jesus gives us biblical proof for the resurrection. In other words, that this isn't just some supernatural hocus pocus. But it's all part of God's plan and design of redemption. Look at what he says here in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses... And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying all of the three major divisions of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets all point to me. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Look at me. I'm not the brightest bulb in the batch, but I can do a little bit of math. In college, I was a philosophy major, and I had to study Plato. I never once had any of my philosophy professors say, well, as you're reading Plato, this may or may not be what Plato said. Do you know how many copies we have in, in reality of Plato's teachings? Seven. There are seven copies of Plato's teaching. Do you know how far they date back? They date back to 900 AD, the earliest copy of Plato's teaching that we have in hand. Do you know when Plato died? Not 900 A.D., but 347 B.C. There's a 1,200-year span between when Plato lived, talked, breathed, and taught and when Plato's earliest copy that we have of his teaching. I never once had a philosophy professor in college say, Well, Tanner, this, 
This is what Plato said, if we know that's what Plato said. Let's just compare that with the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have 24,000 copies of manuscripts of the New Testament. Do you know when Jesus lived, died, and resurrected? It was at 33 A.D. Luke's gospel was written at 63 A.D. That means it's well within the lifespan of those who are eyewitnesses of Jesus' teaching, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Why is that significant? Why is that important? Because they could verify if what was written was not true. If it's not what Jesus said, if it's not what really happened, they could dispute it. And the earliest copies we have of some of the, the, the copies of the New Testament date within a hundred years of Jesus' resurrection. What's the point? If you compare this book to every other book of antiquity, there is no competition. It's like putting Pee Wee Herman in a cage fight with Mike Tyson in his prime. There's no competition. The Gospels, the New Testament destroys them Based on the evidence. But I just want to quote for you a couple of prophecies and fulfillment. There are 300. I've got till 2 p.m., but I'll make it quick. Psalm 22 prophesies how Jesus would die. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. They have divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Do you know when that was written? A thousand years before Jesus was crucified. Psalm 22, a psalm of David, written a thousand years before Jesus, but then also not only predicts his death, but predicts his resurrection. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of all it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation that they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. And that prophecy is still being fulfilled today as preachers all over Bartow, preachers all over the United States of America, preachers all over the world are declaring that the prophecy of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection have been fulfilled are now being proclaimed. I'll give you another example. Just a second prophecy of 300. I've got till two, but I won't. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. That's the prophet Isaiah preaching, teaching 700 to 750 years before the death and resurrection of our Jesus Christ. And then he prophesies in verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with many people, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What does that predict? The resurrection ascension of Jesus, that as we pray today in Jesus' name, Jesus hears. What's the point? There is biblical proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus wasn't some religious nut job, nutcase that just showed up onto the scene, but it was all according to God's purpose, God's design, God's plan. Prophecies predicted 700 years, 1,000 years before the, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ were fulfilled by Jesus, and many of those things out of his control. Do you embrace the evidence? Simon Kistemacher is a professor of Old of New Testament at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary in, in Orlando, Florida. He tells a story about of a pastor that went in to see one of his parishioners that had been in a coma. And as the, the pastor made his way into this hospital, the gentleman woke up from his coma and he told his pastor, I've been to heaven. The pastor doubted him and said, oh really? Well, what did heaven look like? How do you know you were in heaven? And the young man said, because I saw Jesus. The pastor was even more skeptical. He said, oh, you saw Jesus. Well, how do you know you saw Jesus? How do you know it was Jesus? And the gentleman said, because I saw the wounds in his hands. The pastor said, oh, okay. Still somewhat skeptical, the pastor asked, well, did Jesus say anything to you? And the young man named John said, yes, he did. The pastor asked John, so John, what did he say to you? He said, John, I paid for you. Come home. Simon Kistemacher shares that story because that testimony jives with the Jesus of the Bible. That the Bible unfolds a true story that's ultimately all about Jesus. And that Jesus came to save a sinner like me, a rebel like me, and a sinful rebel like you. Do you believe? Perhaps the greatest proof of the resurrection is the spiritual proof of changed lives. We see it here in verse 45. It says, then Jesus Open their minds to understand the scriptures. And then he said to them, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. John Stott says this, that the greatest testimony, the greatest evidence of the resurrection are the changed lives of the disciples. That you have Peter, who was a coward and denied Jesus three times, is courageous. And not only does he suffer for Jesus to the point of death, but we know from church history that when they went to crucify Peter, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as our Lord and, my Lord and Savior, so flip me upside down. Look at this Saul. Saul went from a Pharisee persecuting the Christian church, trying to kill and exterminate those who were Christians, to now Saul becomes the Apostle Paul, who preaches and is persecuted eventually to the point of death. Will you embrace the evidence today? That this isn't some fairy tale fiction. But rather what we celebrate today is the most important event in history. That the creator God who made a promise that if Adam sinned and rebelled against him, there would be a consequence, a ripple effect of death that would be felt across all of creation. 
But Jesus came, born of the Virgin Mary, because he did not inherit that sin nature from Adam. He lived the sinless life we should have lived, and then he died a substitutionary death in our place that we should have died. As one preacher has said, either Jesus died for your sins or you will die for your sins. Which is it? And then he resurrected from the dead. Why is that important? Not because it's some spiritual hocus pocus. And Jesus is just pulling rabbits out of his hat to amaze people what he can and can't do. But because in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see the consequence of sin, which is death, reversed. He reverses the curse of death and offers the gift of life to you and to me. Will you embrace the evidence for Jesus today? That Jesus comes to offer you eternal life. And he comes to offer you an abundant life in him. If you'll turn from yourself and trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, dissolve our doubts. Stir within us a hunger to know, to know you, to know what we believe and why we believe it. And as Gustin said, my prayer, Father, is that everyone would leave here either resting in you or their hearts restless until their hearts rest in you. Feed our faith. In Jesus. For Jesus' sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond to God's word this morning by standing and turning our hymnals. Hymn number 85, The Lord's My Shepherd. We're going to sing verses 1 through 4 together this morning.